almost 100 years in big cities with 100 skyscrapers and tiny towns with one stoplight, on college campuses and Native American reservations, and churches too many to count. Hundreds of thousands of men and women and boys and girls have made hundreds of thousands of life-changing decisions. Almost none of them knew her name, and yet she was there. Annie Armstrong lived more than a hundred years ago. Only this one picture of her survives. History could have easily forgotten her, but Annie Armstrong is worth remembering. In the late 1800s, when most women had no voice, Annie was one of the first to speak up. First, for the urban poor in her hometown of Baltimore, and then, for Southern Baptist missionaries around the world who desperately needed support. It was for these people that she helped start the National Women's Missionary Union. As its first executive leader, she gave women a platform in their local church and in ways that they'd never done before. These women helped focus Southern Baptist attention on the hurting and the lost and the missionaries trying to reach them. Annie wrote letters, 18,000 in just one year. And she traveled across America, encouraging missionaries and inspiring churches to pray, to give, and to act. She worked long hours, paid her own expenses, and refused to accept a salary. And in the darkest days of the Depression, right before she died, an offering was named after her. Today, the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering helps missionaries in the U.S. and Canada start new churches and meet needs through Compassion Ministries. Over the years, Southern Baptists have given more than $1 billion to that offering, and 100% of it, every penny, has gone straight to the mission field. There's still work left to do. The need is bigger than ever, and that's why even though she lived more than a century ago, and even though only one picture of her survives, Annie Armstrong's influence lives on. Because today in North America, just as it's been from the beginning, anywhere a missionary is sent, every time a new church is born, anytime someone gives to her offering so that a lost person might be found, Annie is there. Good way to start off a sermon with that song. Thank you so much for that song. God's grace is amazing. We'll see that today in the scripture that we'll be reading from Philippians. So I hope that you have your Bible and can turn to Philippians chapter 1. Going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. You've also got a handout uh, where you can write down some notes. You'll notice that it's blank this week. Every so often I like to give you a chance to kind of take notes the way you want to take notes and write down what's important to you. And uh, sometimes it's because I run out of time and I don't get all the questions put on there. So, but anyway, um, the advance of the gospel is what we're going to speak, be speaking about today. Last week, we talked a little bit about 
the importance of Christian fellowship. And fellowship is important, amen? Biblical fellowship, where we get together, we talk over God's word, we discuss what's going on in our life, whether we have seen spiritual growth in our life or not. And we kind of counsel with, with each other and figure out what we can be doing better and what scriptures I might need to read or study or meditate on in order to continue on with my spiritual growth in Christ. And that is what Christian fellowship is. And he refers to it as a partnership in the gospel that he has with the Philippian church. And we talked also about how, maybe we didn't mention this last week, but it's true, Satan desperately wants to de derail fellowship and the advance of the gospel message, amen? He desperately wants to do that. And he will go to no ends to be able to do that. And so we'll talk about that a little bit today. We'll, we'll talk also about how in the case of Paul, it did not work. Satan wanted to derail the gospel. He wanted to derail fellowship, but it did not work. And so if you have already turned to Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 18, we'll go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Take up just where we left off last week in verse 12. And just see the example of Paul and what a tremendous example he must have had on the brothers in Christ and what we should gain from his example as well. And so, so of course, this is Paul speaking. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's gonna be a key term in our sermon today, advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put there for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these words that we have today and in your sovereignty many thousands of years ago, even before the earth was created, you could see down and see us here today and see us speaking about these words and you have ordained that we hear these words today and that we not only hear them, but that our spiritual ears would be open as well and that we would understand what you are saying to us today and not only understand and have knowledge of it, but accept it for our lives. And we pray also that we would grow in our love for people and for the message of the gospel. And ultimately, that we would trust and obey what we hear today, that our lives would be changed, not just by a little bit, but by in leaps and bounds, that we might be more effective in advancing the gospel in our community and the rest of the world. And we ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, I hope you can already see that my main point, and I, I never try to hide my main point and kind of surprise it to, at you on the end. I know a lot of people do that, but
but I like to be right up front with what the message is and the message for today is that the advance of the gospel is our priority. It really is our priority in our life. And if you think about why God left us behind here, he saved us, but then he didn't take us to heaven with him right away, he left us here. And that purpose is for us to advance the gospel throughout our community and throughout our country and throughout the uttermost part of the world. He told us to go and preach the gospel to all creation. And so the spreading of the gospel message should be our church's highest priority, but it really should be as individuals our highest priority. Do you believe that? Amen? That it should be our highest priority is spreading the gospel. And uh, I, I do believe that. And I think so many times we get off that track and we get onto some other track, but our basic priority is the spreading of the gospel. The advance of the gospel, the way I defined it, is the going forth of the message of Christ into enemy territory, much like an army would push forward into a battle to gain territory. And I think we've got to kind of have that kind of a mindset that we're just not going here and there and here and there, but maybe we have some kind of strategy and there's this big push of the gospel into that enemy territory because there's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus or anyone else says that we are just to maintain, right? We're not just to maintain our numbers or our witness, but we're to advance the gospel. And we certainly do not shrink back and give up territory. But in these past couple of years, it seems like we've given up territory. And I'm wondering if, we, if that is true. I'm wondering if there's something that we can do about that because we still have this from Paul where he commands us to advance the gospel. And so I'm looking for ways to advance the gospel. I'm looking for people who will help to advance the gospel because Jesus said that my church, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? Shall not prevail against it. And I think Satan has taken this opportunity and he's definitely taken this opportunity in Paul's life. He tried to take advantage and tried to throw a wrench in things and to prevent the advance of the gospel. And I think he's done that in very many ways these last couple of years in the United States of America and probably the whole world. The gospel has not advanced the way that it should. I think sometimes it's because we're timid about sharing the gospel when we should not be timid, right? We should be forthright. One thing I want to point out, I'll probably say it later in the end of the sermon as well, but if we preach the gospel and no one comes to faith in Christ, we have not failed. Amen? We have not failed. We are told to preach the gospel, leave the results to God, and sure, we are supposed to pray for people, we are supposed to be persuasive in our speech, but ultimately, we leave that up to God, and that should just like take a bunch off of our shoulders, right? And we can go out and we can share the gospel, and yes, persuade, but we don't have to be fearful about the results. There's another reason why the gospel is preached other than saving people, and that is to judge people. And on the day of judgment, people will be judged for hearing the gospel and rejecting that gospel. 
And so in one sense, we cannot fail in this if we present the gospel. And so the church will prevail over the gates of hell. But the gates of hell will not prevail over the church. So in the long run, we win. The church wins. The gospel wins. Christ wins. But until then, we need to seek every opportunity to advance the gospel message. In other words, we need to learn to be unstoppable in sharing the gospel. And so many times, Satan will throw things in front of us. He'll make us doubt that we can share the gospel. He'll say it's the wrong timing to share the gospel. And how many times have you had an opportunity to share, to share the gospel and before you knew that moment was gone and you felt like I lost that time where I could have shared the gospel. The purpose I think of this sermon, I think the purpose of this whole section of scripture is that we be ready with the gospel on the tip of our tongue, ready to share the gospel whenever we can. The problem and the question that I have is do we have this attitude that at a drop of a hat, we should be able to share the gospel or share our personal testimony. And I have to be honest, I find out that sometimes I don't have that. I don't have that attitude and I have missed opportunities to share the gospel. But one thing about a church is what we can help each other, right? By changing the attitude of the church and individuals' attitudes start being changed to where we do share the gospel when we have every opportunity. Paul had an opportunity, didn't he, in this section of scripture. Paul had an opportunity. We might not see it as an opportunity. We might see it as an opportunity to be discouraged or to be depressed. But what was Paul's opportunity? He was in prison, right? He was in prison. How many of you think that's a good possibility for me? That's a good opportunity for me to go to prison. No, nope, probably no one's going to raise their hand, but... For him, you got to know Paul's mindset, right? Yeah, you guys that work at prison. <laughs> but uh, for Paul, I mean, you, you got to admit the guy has a different mindset than most of us probably have. He, has a, he, he goes to prison, and what is his thought? I have a captive audience. I have an audience that can't get away from me. And I'm going to tell him the very thing that got me into this prison. Because that's why he was in prison, right? He was in prison because he was telling people about Christ. People didn't like it. They threw him into prison. Is that the thing that you would do? Would you go to prison and then continue doing the very thing that got you into that prison? Probably not, but he did. He, he did. Paul is in a Roman prison. Satan certainly meant this for evil. He certainly thought, I'll... I'll if I can get Paul in prison, I mean, I can shut him up. He's not going to be able to tell anybody about the gospel. And what happens? The guy goes off and he's telling everyone. Says that he is surrounded by guards. He's in prison because of sharing Christ. But I was thinking about it. What is the question every prisoner is asked? What is the question every prisoner is asked? What you in for, Paul? <laughs> well, I just so happened to have a story for you guys. <laughs> it's about a man named Jesus, and I want to tell you about him. Perfect opportunity, right? <laughs> he, 
he wasn't discouraged. He wasn't depressed. It wasn't his first time in prison for this, right? He'd been through here before and he'd seen people been saved. But do you think Paul saw this as some random situa situation which to fear and to be discouraged and depressed? No, he didn't have that mindset. He knew that God was awesome, that he was sovereign. And this was something uh, that was ordained by God as an opportunity for him. What Satan had meant for evil, God had meant for good. We can be sure about that. And so Paul takes this opportunity to tell the whole imperial guard and it's, it just by it just so happens to add, and all the rest. I don't know who all the rest were, but everyone, right? Everyone in that prison got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't know that it, all of them or even any of them received Christ, but Christ was glorified in the preaching of his name. Now, I just, I had to write down some things that this revealed about, about the temperament, about the attitude that Paul had. First of all, Paul had supreme, supreme confidence in what he believed. He, he truly believed and knew that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and he was willing to go to prison for it so that he could share people. He's willing to die for that. That has a tendency to rub off on people, doesn't it? Confidence, being bold has a tendency to rub off on each other. And we're going to see how that actually happened in the church in a little bit, a little bit later when we talk about these brothers that uh, saw Paul. So he had supreme confidence in what he believed. And I believe his captors saw that confidence. And it's one reason why I believe many of them probably did believe. But secondly, Paul understood that the gospel is the only way of salvation. This may be some of these prisoners' only opportunity to ever hear about the only way to heaven, Jesus Christ, right? So this is my chance. This is my one chance. This may be my only chance. It may be their only chance to hear the way of salvation. I have to tell it to them. Number three, Paul's trust in God was complete. We have to say his trust in God was complete. He trusted God would take care of him either way the people in the prison responded. They could have rioted and killed him. The guards could have said, you can't do that. That's why you're in here. We're going to kill you. But he kept repeating what he had been sent to prison in the first place. Uh, he kept repeating that and saying it over and over again, his complete trust for the results was in God. Number four, sharing the gospel in a dangerous situation is worth the risk. Is that true? <laughs> is that true? <laughs> Maybe we might uh, be sensitive about how we share the message. We don't want to be persecuted, uh, unduly persecuted when we can share the message in a way that is more receptive to the people that we are preaching the gospel to. But it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. I'm always reminded, and I've told the story many times even here, 
the story of Jim Elliott and the four men that went with him to Ecuador to reach the Aka Indians or the Arani Indians. And they knew that this was going to be a very difficult thing for them to do. First of all, they couldn't get there except by a plane and to land on a very narrow strip of land. And secondly, they knew that these Indians were very violent. In fact, they were so violent that the other, fear, other tribes around them feared them greatly. And the Aka Indians thought it was a great uh, test of their courage if they could gain someone's favor and then kill him. You know, get them to trust you and then kill them, and that shows how great a person you are. That was their idea. And Jim Elliott knew this, but they said, we're going to go there anyway because they need to hear the gospel. Well, they landed on the strip, and they had guns with them, and uh, they said they would only use the guns to shoot up in the air and not shoot uh, any of the Aki Indians if they, if they were attacked by them because... Jim Elliott said, I think it was Jim Elliott that said this. He said, we know our destiny is in heaven, but their destiny right now is going to hell. And it's worth my life to give them the opportunity to hear about Christ. And I believe Paul had this same kind of attitude as well. It's the attitude that says the gospel message is so important that it's worth a risk even in dangerous situations. And then number five, Paul was a man of faith and action. He backed up his words with deeds. He wasn't ashamed of Christ, not in the least bit. And so we see how Paul responds to this situation. He's very bold. He's very confident. How, that, how did that affect the brothers? Well, it says that the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see how that works? This is how, the, how a church, is, I believe, is supposed to work. We see someone who is very bold, someone who is very courageous, someone who is willing to take a risk in sharing the gospel, and everyone is encouraged by that so that we all grow in our ability to share the gospel. Because of Paul's witness, they became more confident, they became more emboldened, and they were spreading the word without fear. We need to be the kind of example for people that we spur others on to share the gospel as well. Now, it's, it's interesting here. There's something in the Bible that, to be honest, I'm a little uncomfortable with it being in there. <laughs> he says it emboldened everyone, all the brothers. Some were doing it out of goodwill, but some were doing it out of envy and rivalry. They were doing it because of selfish ambition. They were not sincere, but they actually did it maybe to afflict Paul. They were so jealous of Paul and his success, I believe, that they wanted to preach the gospel and gain that kind of notoriety as well. It was all based upon selfish ambition and not love for the people or love for Paul or love for Christ. I didn't like that that was in there because Paul commends them. He doesn't necessarily commend them. 
but he commends the preaching of Christ regardless of what the motive was of the people's heart. Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. It's kind of strange, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of strange. But I came up with this conclusion. It's the message of Christ that is important, not the messenger. Isn't that true? When you boil it down to it, it's the message of Christ that is important, not the messenger. The fact that Christ is being proclaimed is what is making Paul rejoice. It's the message of Christ that is important, not the messenger. We know this is true because of all those, sadly, who gave their life in order to tell other people about Christ. In my literature class, I teach literature at uh, Academy Christian um, Uh, ACA, I can't remember the, the, the letters. Academy Christian Ambassador, I can't remember. ACA, at school where I teach, I teach literature and we've been going through Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's a book compiled by John Knox back in probably about 15, 1600s of people who have given their life as a witness for Christ. And we found out that basically all the disciples, other than maybe John, gave their lives in sharing the gospel. In other words, because of persecution, hardship, they died because of them sharing the gospel with other people. And we know what Paul has gone through. Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews and 40 lashes less one, three times, I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false prophets, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there was the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Paul endured an incredible amount in order to be able to share the gospel. And ultimately, he lost his life as a martyr as well. So the advance of the gospel is really important, isn't it? It's an, it's an important thing for us as well. We are... Considered, if you read Romans, uh, it says that we are considered as sheep who are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I'm not being very persuasive in persuading you to do this, am I? But that's what the word of God says, right? I mean, I could give you a soft soap, you know, soap kind of story that says, you know, you're going to have all these wonderful experiences sharing Christ and you will have some wonderful experiences and have had many wonderful experiences, but you're going to have times of rejection as well. And so I would rather tell you the truth up front than to, for you to walk into something and say, why is this happening to me? Is, is God suddenly under, out of control since 
I'm having difficulty with this witnessing situation or, and you, and you say, no, that just goes with it. So what is this gospel that is so important to Paul? Well, I just wanted to read it in closing so that we are sure that we know what it is. This is from 1 Corinthians 15, one through five. Paul once again saying, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. In Ephesians, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Nothing we can do to deserve it, right? Not a result of works so that no man should boast. In other words, if I were able to stand before God and he asked me why I should let you into heaven, if I give him something that points to me, I'm on the wrong track. I should point toward Jesus. Jesus did this for me. Not I did this. Not I went to church. Not I was baptized. Not I did good works but Jesus did those things for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So in closing, we've seen that we are to advance the gospel. We've seen what the gospel actually is. We've seen how Paul advanced the gospel, didn't give up, even in difficult situations. What are some things we can do to advance the gospel? And I just wrote down a few things that are very easy to do. Learn the gospel message. Learn the gospel message. It's easy to do, right? Because you are Christians, you should know the gospel message. Learn those verses that I just shared with you. I'd be glad to give you those. And there are other ways to learn it as well, right? Little diagrams that help us as much as it does the person we're sharing with to understand the gospel. Learn the gospel message, but also learn to share your own Christ story. It's very powerful how you came to know Christ. People want to hear stories about lives that have been changed and how Christ has changed those. And sharing your own personal story or testimony is a way to do that. Each of you have one. Each of you have a time of living before you knew Christ and in how you came to know Christ and how your life has changed after you came to Christ. Learn to show, learn to share your Christ story. Be intentional, be on the lookout, right? We should leave this place, we're on the lookout. How can I advance the gospel? We're going to eat. What about the waitress? Does she know the gospel? Do we have an opportunity to share the gospel with her? We usually do, don't we? We go out and eat, and we've done it before, but we don't do it all the time, but we may pray for that waitress. Uh, we may share the gospel with them. Uh, let's be intentional and rejoice that salvation is by grace and faith in Christ alone, right? In Christ alone. We always, always remember that. That will give us strength, that will give us joy, and it will give us the ability to share the gospel because 
our salvation, we rejoice in the fact that it's in Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had. We thank you for Paul's example and then the brother's example. And then that comes down to us and our example. And I am thankful for many in this room who share Christ and I'm thankful for their example and it encourages me to do better and to be more intentional. And so that's why we pray for our church is you would help us to be more intentional about sharing the greatest thing that's ever happened in our life, our salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for your inexpressible gift. Now move in our hearts, help us to be the people you've called us to be. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.